It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 412 for September 28, 2014. This week, those who've wondered who receives information about their browsing habits may find a new Firefox plugin useful. Adobe has just released Elements 13. I'll have a quick first look. In short circuits, Apple says no to police who want data from iPhones and iPads. Resetting the terror meter on the bash bug. A new idea for voice communication by phone. And Apple bought Beats several months ago. But now what? Don't look now but you're being followed. Mozilla has developed a new add-on for Firefox that will enlighten the curious and terrify the paranoid. When you visit a website, information about the visit will almost certainly be shared with other sites. TechBiter Worldwide, for example, uses Google Analytics and StatCounter, both of which gather only information about the number of visitors, operating systems in use, browsers, and screen resolution. No personally identifiable information is gathered. Other sites may use more trackers. Some of them aren't quite as friendly. Some sites have 30 or more external connections. These range from advertising servers to typeface management sites, from traffic analyzers to add-ons such as jQuery. Next year, instead of serving typefaces from the TechBiter Worldwide server, I plan to hand over typeface management to Google, or possibly to Adobe. In either case, the result will be a faster and better website that has one additional external connection. If you install Lightbeam for Firefox, you can see all of those links, either as a graph or in a list. For the curious, this is a worthwhile service. For those who fear cookies and believe that everyone is spying on them, it's likely to just add to their paranoia. Mozilla's Alex Fowler describes the new add-on by starting with non-governmental information tracking and calling it another area of online data collection with its own complicated transparency challenges. Fowler says a diverse range of third-party companies shape our online experiences. Third parties are an integral part of the way the Internet works today. Fowler says that Lightbeam's objective is to provide information that will allow people to make informed choices about their data-sharing practices. Without this information, Fowler says, the result will be a steady erosion of trust for all stakeholders. Lightbeam makes it possible to examine individual third parties over time and space, identify where they connect to your online activity, and choose whether to allow or block the connections. That third function is what may be problematic for some users, and that's because turning off certain connections may cause the website not to load, may cause it not to operate properly, or it might not display typefaces correctly. In the graph view, the main site will be shown as a circle. Third-party sites appear as triangles. They are connected to the main site by little lines. The graph is constantly moving and changing, and that's a feature I find very distracting. Because it's constantly rotating, the graph view is harder to use than it should be. There should at least be an option to turn off the animation so the user can drill down. 
The scroll wheel on the mouse makes it possible to zoom in, but in some ways this makes the problem even worse because the site you want to examine can move off the screen, and frequently does. An option called Recent Site displays only the last site that has interacted with the browser, and then the user can hover the mouse cursor over the triangles to examine the third-party connections. This isn't completely successful, though, because many sites regularly push updated information to your browser. When this happens, that site becomes the last to interact with the browser and replaces the one you're trying to examine. A separate list view identifies all of the sites either as visited or third-party. For example, Lightbeam tells me that the Weather Underground website has 19 connected sites, PC Magazine has 27. It doesn't tell me which of the 128 listed third-party sites it knows about at the moment are used by any given visited website, though. The only way to determine that involves using the animated graph page. Fowler compares Lightbeam to a scene in The Wizard of Oz, writing that users can collectively provide a way to pull back the curtain to see the web's inner workings. Mozilla encourages users to contribute their data to the Lightbeam database. The plan is to make the overall data available publicly. Lightbeam is a joint project developed by Mozilla and the Social and Interactive Media Center at Emily Carr University of Art and Design in Vancouver. Sim created the data visualizations for Lightbeam. Adobe released a new version of its Elements applications this week, Photoshop Elements 13 for Photos, Premiere Elements 13 for Videos. So far, I've had time only to glance at the new applications, and it appears they include a variety of new and improved features. You can expect a more complete review in coming weeks for each of the programs, but I've seen enough to provide at least a decent first impression. After installing Photoshop Elements, I grabbed a photo from the Columbus Zoo to see what I might be able to do with it. A few minutes later, I had what I thought was a pretty cool image that looked like a high-quality pencil sketch. You'll see it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. I showed that image around and received some wow responses. This isn't the time or place to explain how I achieved the effect, but I can say that it really did take just a couple of minutes to examine several effects, find one that I liked, and fine-tune it to create the resulting picture. One feature I've seen demonstrated but haven't yet tried on my own is called Photo Merge Compose. It's intended to allow Photoshop Elements users to extract a person or an object from one picture and composite it into another image. For example, consider a family gathering. The photographer wouldn't be in the group picture, but a picture of the photographer could be taken and the photographer could be inserted later into the group picture. This is not the kind of feature that one expects to find in an application that is aimed at and priced for the consumer market. Adobe product manager Bob Gager says the most frequently used function in Photoshop Elements has always been cropping an image for better composition. Cropping is an art. The software designers at Adobe have tried to turn that art into a science by analyzing an image and then suggesting four potential crops that might improve it. Users can, of course, ignore the suggestions if they want and create their own crops. Guided edits isn't a new feature, but each new version of Elements does attempt to improve the guidance. That seems to be true with this version, and I'm looking forward to experimenting with that part of the program.
Adobe says that sharing has been improved for both photos and videos so that users can easily post their creations on Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo, and other services, or just send them directly to friends. Another feature I'm looking forward to trying is one that automatically creates and uploads a banner photo and an individual photo for Facebook. This is a task that until now required users to know the dimensions and ratios used by Facebook. It is something that has frustrated no small number of people. This new feature should really help. The previous version of Premiere Elements included technology designed to smooth videos that suffered from camera movement. Adobe says the feature has been significantly improved in version 13, and I'll assess that claim in a later program once I've had a chance to test it. A new video story feature offers templates for events such as birthday parties and weddings. This is another feature that I've seen demonstrated, and I want to examine it in a real-life situation. Users should be able to drop video clips into specific buckets that are common to all events. For example, birthday has a cake bucket. Premiere Elements is then expected to handle all of the transitions between the various video clips you've dropped in and make a program out of it. There's no cat rating at this time because this has been just a quick first look. I'll have more on the Elements 13 packages in later programs. Listen for them in two or three weeks. short circuits, Apple says it'll no longer turn over data from iPhones and iPads even if police have a legitimate search warrant. In fact, the new mobile operating system, iOS 8, makes it impossible for Apple to gain access to the data because the encryption process has been modified. But wait, some conditions apply. In some ways, this change is reasonable, but I suspect the move will be controversial in cases where the owner of the phone may have been abducted or when police want information from the phone of a homicide victim. The new encryption process depends on the user's passcode, which is something Apple will not have access to. Apple describes it this way. Apple cannot bypass your passcode and therefore cannot access your data. So that means it's not technically feasible for Apple to respond to government warrants for the extraction of iOS data from devices in their possession. All new iPhones and iPads will run iOS 8. Some earlier models will be upgraded to the new version of the operating system. But here's the catch. The policy does not apply to data stored on Apple's iCloud service. And that's usually where data from iPhones and iPads is backed up to. So one might reasonably say that the policy change is more of a marketing and PR ploy than a real change. Earlier this year, the Supreme Court did rule that police need a search warrant in most cases to obtain information from phones. what's being called a serious new security threat. But it doesn't affect Windows. Instead, the targets of what's being called the Bash Bug are systems that run Apple's OS X or Linux, the very operating system whose users point at Windows and laugh. So how bad is this? 
the bug affects systems that run Unix-like operating systems, and that means more than just BSD-based OS X and all the variants of Linux. The bug has the potential to cause problems with millions of internet servers, banks, businesses, and even medical equipment. Are you frightened yet? All right, let's get serious. Although this illustrates the point that there is no perfect operating system when it comes to security, the bash bug is certainly not worse than Heartbleed. And Heartbleed was made to sound a lot worse than it really was. The Department of Homeland Security's Computer Emergency Readiness Team notes that what's essentially a perfect storm of faults needs to be present if the bug is to be exploited. To take advantage of the bug, the attacker needs to gain access to what's called the shell, and nobody who understands even the basics of security, Security 101 or even remedial security, should allow that to happen. The organization that discovered the bug says there is no evidence that it's ever caused any data loss, and this bug has been there since the 1980s. If an attacker could gain access to the shell, then the bug would open the computer to what's called remote code execution, so that the attacker could take over the affected computer, install programs, and run commands. Big if there. Security flaws are rated on a 10-point scale by the Common Vulnerability Scoring System. This one rated 10 in terms of how serious it could be, but if a serious flaw cannot be exploited, just how serious is it, really? The Bash Bug gets its name from Bash, a Unix shell that was released in 1989. Brian Fox wrote the Born Again shell, Bash, as a replacement for the Born shell, or SH. In Unix land, the shell is where commands are executed. Bash is the default shell for Linux systems and Apple's OS X. It can also run inside Windows as SigWin or MinGW. Versions are available for DOS, Novell Netware, and Android. Not used there very often, though. The current vulnerability was discovered by Stephanie Chazelis of Akamai Technologies. When Akamai said it had identified no known data breaches attributable to the bug, the company qualified the statement by noting that there is a difference between known breaches and breaches. If you have any device that runs OS X, Linux, or Unix, expect some patches soon. In fact, many Linux systems have already been patched. They were patched within hours of the announcement. So really, don't expect much in the way of attacks based on the bash bug. been amused by watching the way people use smartphones. Both of my daughters, for example, post to Facebook or Pinterest or any number of other services. They send instant messages, they view websites, but phone calls on a phone? Huh, never. Why make a 10-second phone call when you can spend 10 minutes texting back and forth? Okay, so maybe there's a little hyperbole in there somewhere. Not much, though. Ray Ozzy has a radical suggestion. Let's use phones for voice communications. Now, observant listeners will note that I did not say phone calls. If this works out, though, I could be on the leading edge. My cell phone is so old that all it can do is make phone calls. Ozzy says words and numbers are fine, but hearing someone's voice brings things closer to home. 
Maybe that's why some people prefer the TechBiter Worldwide podcast to reading it on the website. If the name Ray Ozzy seems familiar to you, it should. For several years, he was the chief technical officer and chief software architect at Microsoft. Before that, he had a big part in the creation of Lotus Notes and was a key player at Groove Networks. He went to work for Microsoft when Microsoft acquired Groove in 2005. In his first year at Microsoft, Ozzy wrote a 5,000-word memo that was distributed throughout the company. He called it the Internet Services Disruption, and in it he wrote about the importance of responding quickly and decisively. It's clear, he wrote, that if we fail to do so, our business as we know it is at risk. So, Ozzy is well-known and respected as someone whose opinions matter. Ozzy is now involved with an app that has been released for iPhones. It is called Taco, and it's an app designed to send spoken words via phones. All right, stop laughing. It's designed to send spoken words by phone. A version for Android phones will follow later. Here's how it works. It's not really quite a phone call. Instead, the user records a message and sends it, like an instant message, to anybody who's using the service. Maybe this is better than a phone call, because unlike a phone call, the message can simply wait until the recipient has time to listen to it. Talko will store messages for 10 days, but subscriptions will be available to store audio recordings permanently. That's expected to cost less than $10 a month. Initially, though, Talko will store all messages permanently and without charge. Unlike phone calls, the recorded messages can be sent to several people simultaneously. So maybe this could be compared to a slow-speed, non-real-time walkie-talkie? Apple bought Beats, the headphone manufacturer and online music service, in May. Since then, though, nothing. It's enough to make people wonder what Apple plans to do with Beats and why it's done nothing for four months with its $3 billion purchase. The expectation was that Apple would launch an online music service based on Beats technology. If so, there's no sign of it yet. This week, TechCrunch caused a bit of a stir when it reported that Apple would shut down Beats. Apple, which rarely comments on rumors, was quick to reply to that one. The response was a complete and unequivocal denial. Beats Music originated in January, and it's thought to have around a quarter of a million subscribers. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? But it compares to 10 million paying users for Spotify, and another 30 million Spotify users who subscribe to the advertising-supported service. Apple already has iTunes, of course, but it's not a streaming service. Apple announced at the time of the acquisition that Beats and iTunes would coexist, at least for a time. You may recall that Apple acquired another music service, Lala, in 2009. It shut Lala down and absorbed all the employees into the iTunes division. Despite the fact that Apple CEO Tim Cook said in a TV interview with Charlie Rose that he sees a great future for music subscription services, Apple did not include a preloaded Beats app in the new iPhone models released a week ago. But if $3 billion seems like a lot of money, well, maybe it is to you. Certainly it would be to me. To public citizen Apple, though, it's not much more than pocket change. Or maybe the cost of a big dinner. 
the company shows a cash balance of $150 billion. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.